Welcome to the Sports Pub Podcast. I'm your host, Travis Fulton. Thank you for joining us here. It is the first episode. Very excited about this podcast as we bring you some of the best stories in the game of golf that you probably have never heard, whether it's a story on the PGA Tour, the nightlife, right? Back in the 70s and the 80s, you know, those are always kind of fun to listen to. A gambling story at your local golf course, the country club, member guests, can't believe that happened. Stories that make us shake our head, stories that make us laugh, and stories that we plan to bring to you right here on the Sports Pub Pod as we get started here with our first episode. Someone that I have known for a long time and I know loves to tell stories about the game of golf. He's a four-time winner on the PGA Tour, and you've seen him on TV for many years, most recently as an analyst for NBC Golf Channel. Joining me now, my friend, Billy Kratzer. Well, Billy, I can't thank you enough for joining me here on the uh, Sports Pub Podcast, but before we get into some of these stories, I've got to ask you, I mean, I I know you won four times on the PGA Tour, but you lost the Hawaiian Open to (laughs) Hubert Green in a playoff. What's that all about? Well, I did. And, you know, that one, that one's on me, you know, simply because the last hole being a par five. Well, guess what? I didn't birdie Mm. the last hole, a par five in the playoff. uh, The first hole, I had a chance from 10 feet to win. Uh, I didn't make that. And then um, I eventually lost on the second playoff hole to Hubert Green. And, um, we lost him uh, recently, mm-hmm. but uh, he was a dear friend, uh, 19-time winner on the tour, twice a major champion. I guess if you're going to lose a playoff, um, you know, that's the kind of player that you, you want to lose to, but it's never fun losing a playoff. So, uh, But the boys are there uh, playing the Hawaiian Open, so it should be a good week, and um, yeah. golf is getting started back. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's good to uh... – it's good to see him and one of their best fields there at the Sony open uh, in over a decade. And, you know, I want to ask you, there's a lot of things I want to ask you because you played golf back in the seventies in the eighties. And of course, here we are now in 2020 things are the landscape of golf. I mean, just the world is so different in today's game. Everybody has a phone. The media is virtually everywhere right? Anybody with the Mm -hmm. phone is in essence, media, social media. And it's to some degree, I think has forced the hand of how things have changed when it comes to other activities that go around traveling the tour and doing those things. And I hear the stories, you know, back in the seventies and eighties and how things used to be the nightlife, right? Of these tour players. And when you were on tour, it was very much a part of the regiment, right? You were, things were just kind of getting started when you got done playing (laughs) tournament golf. And now it was, well, the other part of the, the other part of the life. Talk about that. Well, for most of the guys that when I started playing and, and the guys, you know, before me, like the, the January Miller Barber, that, Gardner Dickinson, Dan Sykes, all those guys. For all of those guys and and for when we started out, our sports psychologist was the guy that was behind the bar serving (laughs) us. He was the bartender. So that's where we met up with our sports psychologist. 
Plus, we didn't have to worry about going to to the gym. You know, hmm. everyone has to go to the gym. Everyone has to go work out. Well, you couldn't find a gym if you had to, because you were probably looking in the yellow pages somewhere. And if you didn't know where to look, you weren't going to find it. Then you had to get a car. Then you had to travel there. It was just easier, Travis, just to say, okay, this is what we're going to do for dinner. We'll all meet up there. We'll have a great time. Our mind will be good for tomorrow's round of golf. And then we'll proceed from there. So yes, the nightlife, it was a big part of it. Yeah. I, you know, it was, it was a great social atmosphere. Some families traveled, but most did not. And when, you know, all of a sudden the families grew and there were more children, uh, guys would seemingly go out more together. They'd make reservations. In fact, if you wanted to go to a, a great restaurant in a city, there was one guy you targeted. You went to him, and you went to him first, and his name was Steve Melman. Mm. Okay, Steve, okay. where's the best restaurant? Boom, he'd tell you. Any others? Then he'd give you two or three more. <laughs> so you were set for the week, and it was awesome. And, you know, that's what we did. I mean, and then you, you talk about, okay, Palm Springs. Uh, that tournament's coming up. Yep, next week. There used to be a, there used to be a, a place called the Bird's Nest. Well, all the players went there. The celebrities were there. It was the most crowded bar you could imagine. And, you know, and then a couple of weeks from there, you go to the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am, you go to Clint's Place, downtown Carmel. I mean, it was what you did. It was about playing golf. You're trying to win the golf tournament. You're trying to play as well as you can possibly play. But yet there was that kind of that look forward to two or three hour period that you would go out yeah. and just kind of hang. And it was great. Yeah. And of course that two or three hour period for some, right. Others, it could have been a, a four to seven hour <laughs> period depending yeah. upon. It just, it, yeah. It just depended yeah. on, on how much aiming oil you needed for, for tomorrow's round. <laughs> <laughs> so if you needed a little bit more, you stayed a little bit longer. There was the life on the course and, and everyone's trying to win the tournament. But like you said, there was every spot had those go-tos, right? And that's kind of where you went and Melnick knew where to eat, but there were the, the watering holes as well. Cause you had to, you know, you had to talk to your sports psychologist and, <laughs> and break things down. Now I got to ask, but was this like seven days a week for some, or was it like four days a week? I mean, what was it on average? You know, not many guys uh, traveled privately like Jack and Arnold. And mm -hmm. um, when I traveled privately, mine had four wheels. So I usually used Monday to get to the next stop. And uh, that's kind of what the guys did mm -hmm. is, you know, you get to the West Coast and then you drive the West Coast and then you have somebody drive the car back to the East coast when we picked the tour up in Florida. Mm. And so uh, you kind of use the one day Monday to travel. Uh, if you missed the cut, if you were, you know, qualified on Monday, you hot footed it to the next spot, played a practice round to where they were qualified. And then, then you picked it up from there. So uh, a little different travel yeah. arrangement. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, but it was, you know, a Tuesday through Sunday. Okay week i mean and and it was packed okay. uh, you just didn't show up on tuesday night play your wednesday pro-am and then start like 
a lot of players do it today. Mm-hmm. But it was perfect. I mean, I enjoyed the heck out of it. So you get there, and then were there were there gambling games? And I think when I say like gambling games on the course, right? And but then there were games in the clubhouse too, right? Because you had the card games that I hear so many stories about. But start on the course. Who were who were some of the characters that? that would get things rolling from a financial standpoint in wagering, say on a Tuesday. You could, you could almost bet that if Arnold Palmer and Lanny Watkins were in the golf tournament, that there was going to be a Tuesday game and there may be a couple other participants in that game, but you could just absolutely book that AP and Lanny were going to go at it uh, individually. Okay. And and so they would play hard. And in fact, they probably played as hard on Tuesday as they did starting Thursday. Hmm. And, and I mean, they would go at it and these two Wake Forest guys, you know, they, they loved each other that, you know, Lanny loved Arnold and Arnold loved the determination and, and the aggressiveness of Lanny. And it was great, but you just knew that if they were in the tournament, they were going to be playing on Tuesday. And then you had uh, Raymond Floyd. You know, there are many stories about Raymond where he would travel. In fact, you know, there's a story about he, him playing Trevino down in Texas. But, you know, a, a game that was played a lot was between Floyd and Eichelberger and mm. Colbert and Ed Snead. Uh, you know, they would get together. They would play for a decent amount of money. But then, you know, they would kind of transfer that over into a card game. Bert Yancey was part of that kind of bridge game that the guys would play afterwards. And so you had your your little groups out there that, you know, not only golf and then you do the dinner and all this stuff, but then you had guys that like to play bridge. Um, so it was, you know, there. I'm sure there were big matches and I'm sure there were matches that were kind of kept quiet. And I'm sure that there was some traveling involved from between tournament to tournament that um, you could probably find guys uh, playing in significant games. But those are the ones that, that I kind of remember is, you know, Arnold and Lanny, they would always play. And mm-hmm. uh, it was always fun to be part of that group if you could get in that group. Did and you then, get in it? Did you ever get in it? Well... Yeah, we played, but um, I was kind of always on the team. I was never wanting to interfere with any of the individual oh, games. Yeah, the head-to-head and, matchup. Uh, yeah, I mean, and really, you didn't. You really didn't want to play Lanny. I mean, you talk about a gunslinger, and and I mean, if a flag stick was on a lily pad in the middle of that water on the right-hand side of a green, if it happened to be stuck out there, Lanny's going to shoot at it. And so, um, he was, he was just that guy that, you know, you just kind of love to be around and and you just hope some of the confidence and, and, and that air would just kind of just rub off on you. Well, and, and Lanny was considerably younger than Arnold. So, oh yeah, he had that advantage and I've heard Lanny on the telecast or maybe it was off here when I was doing some golf channel stuff too. And that he would, that he, he, he got the better of Arnie, right? Let's just say from a financial standpoint. I would think so. Okay. Uh, when you start, when you start adding it up, adding it up and um, you know, the games and, and you're right, there was an H differential. And, and I think there was, there was more of a separation as to when Arnold was in his fifties and Lanny was, you know, in his late twenties. 
as there is today. Yeah. You know, you take a you take a Phil Mickelson, you know, he's fifty, but yet can he compete against the twenty seven year olds? Absolutely. So oh, yeah. mm-hmm. it's 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 different today, and and but yeah, I mean Arnold, you know, and you never wanted to give Arnold a, a driver that you liked because he would always try to change it. He'd take it over to the to the grinding wheel mm. and and put the sandpaper to it. All of a sudden, you had a flat faced driver that you could not hook if you bet if you tried and bet your life on it. Mm. So, so off the course wasn't Doug Sanders kind of a bit of the ringleader when it comes to like, you know, cards. Oh yeah. There were, uh, there were, there were a couple of guys, but Sanders, Sanders is a guy that, that he would go in and, and he would go in and he would make friends with, with some of the members and all of a sudden they're in a gin game with, with, with Sanders and there was one winner and that was, that was Doug. You started going down that path and, you know, they have a rule on the tour now that, you know, you just can't play cards in the clubhouse. Players in the tournament, if you're a member of the PJ Tour, that you are not allowed to play cards in the clubhouse. And it stems from the fact that, you know, back in the day that players would go in there and all of a sudden fleece a few of the members out of some cash and it turned out not to be such a good thing. So Doug Sanders, I mean, Doug Sanders but, is one of the reasons why that you probably can't play in the clubhouse anymore. Oh, hundred percent. Okay. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. He won I 20 mean, times on the PGA tour. Oh yeah. Yeah. Wow. I mean, he went, he went six, he went six or six and a half years before he hit a drive out of bounds for a shot out oh, of wow. bounds. Really? Yeah. And I mean, if you think about it and you go out to Palm Springs, they have those white shoulders, soldiers down each side. Those stakes, I mean, it looks like a Sherwin-Williams testing ground out there. You look down there and you can tighten up. You can become so clenched that you you can't breathe Mm. and never hit it out of bounds. Wow. Like Calvin Peach straight back in the day. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Calvin could Calvin. Calvin hit it as straight as a ruler. And I mean, it was just amazing. But you get back to those card games. The first time I saw a card game in the clubhouse mm-hmm. was actually when I was an amateur prior to going on tour. This was like nineteen sixty eight. I was up at the Porter Cup, Niagara Falls, New York, and um a guy named Bill Harvey. Uh, from North Carolina. Uh, he was a guy that don't know if Bill ever had a job, but uh, there was one thing he could do. He could play cards and he would play cards against a guy named Cassius Clay. And it's not the Cassius Clay you're thinking of, Travis. Okay. This is a golfer. And ironically, he too is from Louisville, Kentucky. Wow. But the, I mean, it's, it's, it was so strange. And until I met him, I didn't believe it. But after they played, they'd go straight to the clubhouse. This is in the 60s. And they would play gin rummy. They wouldn't play, you know, um, to where you have three tracks and, and then you can blitz a guy and all that. They just played for $100 a hand straight across 
until someone didn't have any more cash left. Mm. Pay up after every hand. That was my introduction to playing <laughs> cards in the clubhouse. <laughs> you know, I can think back to when I was younger, growing up in northern Idaho, about uh, the games after playing. Very small town. You know, you would play golf, but then there would be uh, a card game or a dice game. You know, dice was really important. A game that it's called four, five, six. I don't know if you ever played that game. Have uh, not. It's uh, yeah, it's you can win a lot of money quick, and you can lose a lot of money quick. It's uh, it uh, it goes quickly. But you know, just back when I was younger, playing and then sitting there and watching, you know, the the guys play cards and dice afterwards was part of my childhood, you know, very much because it happened, uh, it happened a lot. But now as I go back, it doesn't happen as much, you know, like I can, some of the same tournaments, like it it just doesn't, uh, it doesn't happen as much. I can remember playing crib for money Mm -hmm. when I was younger, but it just, it just doesn't seem apparent anymore. Yeah. I would play a practice round with Chi Chi Rodriguez and there were numerous times because, you know, he had a, you know, nice crowd following him and, and, you know, and he'd be conversational with them. And all of a sudden he'd just say, Hey, why don't we just throw to a line? You and I will just, we'll just throw to a line and we'll see who wins and we'll just go $5 a throw. Mm-hmm. He'd break out in this throw to the line game <laughs> in the middle of a practice round and he might he might win two or three times on each hole. So he supplemented his bet with a side game while we're playing a practice round. I mean, it was it was just <laughs> yeah. like who thinks of that? Yeah, just that competitive, right? And oh yeah, always Every- always wanting to be competing. Who who were who were some of the like pranksters in the day? Were there? Like just people always trying to like not get under your skin, but just have some fun at your cost. <laughs> well, when Crenshaw, Rogers, Litsky, Coke, Maltby, myself came to the tour, Miller Barber, mm. Don January, you know, those were two of the older statesmen that we all gravitated to. We loved Miller. Uh, there are numerous stories about Miller and we love January. In fact, he's the original bones. Um, Mm. that was his nickname. Everyone called him bones and, you know, PGA champion, just, just a gem of a guy probably had the slowest walk of any player I've ever, (laughs) ever played with. Uh, I'm sure it was on purpose. Uh, it would drive players just crazy and it was always fun but um when you talk about pranksters believe it or not crenshaw was a pretty good one really he yeah oh yeah he um i remember at bay hill we were playing and and the locker room attendant had this snake (laughs) took it to a taxidermist and had it coiled Mm. and he thought it was pretty funny just to put it in our locker and when we checked in and we opened our locker he would just look at the reaction. Well, you know, you, you know what usually happens, right. but anyways, Chi Chi actually reached out and grabbed the snake. Hmm. It was the most remarkable reaction anyone had ever seen. I mean, everybody would just jaw drop, but Crenshaw took it to another level. Crenshaw 
took that snake. And Miller Barber was using the restroom. He was in the stall. <laughs> the door was shut. And there's a tile floor. So you had to be very careful when you're walking on this. I mean, everyone just took these little baby steps. Well, Miller's in there, but Crenshaw decides that, that he thinks it'd be really funny just to put the snake just outside the, the door on the stall. So he does. Mm-hmm. Well, when Miller's done and he opens the door, it was like a cat on a roof, on a tin roof, <laughs> not getting traction <laughs> and just screaming. <laughs> And holding on to the top of the stall oh. so he wouldn't fall. I mean, oh. when I when I look back on it, at the time, it was the funniest thing. I mean, I cried mm. for, for an hour <laughs> after after watching this, but it was it was really dangerous and and you know we look back and we go, oh, you know that was really stupid. But, yeah, he could have sprained yeah. an ankle pretty easy. Oh, or, or just falling down. Yeah. And, and, but we always just love playing kind of those games with Miller. And, yeah. and I mean, that's one of the funniest. The other time was in Cincinnati when Crenshaw went to the transportation person and said, Hey, we have a, I think it was a 442, five speed jacked up in the back. It says, We have this car. And we need for you to tell Miller that this is the only car that you have left for him as a courtesy car. <laughs> <laughs> so Miller got there and he said, well, well, I, I, I don't remember the last time I've driven a stick shift. He said, well, this is the only one we have. We'll do our best to try to find you something else, but will this work for the night? <laughs> he tried to get it out of the parking lot. <laughs> he killed it three or four oh, times. It, I mean, he just chugged it out of there. Just, <laughs> I mean, couldn't get it in gear. And we, <laughs> we were just falling down <laughs> on the ground on the range, just watching Miller trying to get out of the parking lot and imagining what he's going to do when he gets in traffic with this five speed. <laughs> uh, that is, that is a good, a gentle Ben, you and I, gosh, that's uh that's a little, little surprising that he's uh, a bit of a prankster. I got to ask you about this guy though. I've heard some really funny stories about the Canadian, you know, where I'm going with George Knudsen, right? And <laughs> I just saw you swing on Twitter the other bringing day. Bringing it all together here with George. And, you know, he, he had, that ability to kind of be the mayor of the, of the nightlife from time to time and, and get after it. And there was a time, and I don't know if you told me the story or, or someone did when he got, he got the ball in the face of the bunker on the first green and, and asked for a ruling. Is that, is that accurate? No, it, no, 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 no. That, you know, I think, I think the story is with with Bob Rosberg. Was it Rosberg? Rosberg, yeah, 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 yeah. He, oh. you know, there were, yeah, there was a time, but there's stories about Nudie as well. But <laughs> Rosberg, Rosberg, he, he had a streak going where all of a sudden he just, you know, he 
withdraw or miss the cut. I mean, it was, it was a long time before he made a cut. And so he's playing in Memphis and they get to the third hole, the third hole. This is Thursday. Gets to the third hole. He starts out par on the first hole, par five, then the par four, number two. This is at Old Colonial. Mm-hmm. Then number three is par three. Really good par three, but it's a narrow green. And Rossi hits this shot into the right-hand bunker. And I mean, it just barely grazes the, the lip, and then it just plugs just right in the lip of the bunker. And he gets up there, and he looks at it, and he says, I need a ruling. <laughs> and so, so he he's waiting, he's waiting, and, and, you know, the fellow competitors, they're finishing out and everything. And anyways, Jack Tudhill gets up there and comes over to where Rossi's standing, and he says, okay, Rossi, what's the situation? He says, well, I got plugged ball. You can see that right there, can't you? And Jack says, yeah. He says, you know, what? what why'd you call me? He says, well, with that line right there, I think I'm just going to withdraw and it was just too far to walk in. So I'm going to, I'm withdrawing and I need a ride in on the third hole on Thursday. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Can you imagine the backlash he would take in today's world for that? Oh, but geez. you know what? There, there wasn't a, a kinder person in the world. And yeah. I mean, I, you know, I had the, you know, fortune, I had the, the good fortune of actually, Working with with Rossi when mm-hmm. he was still with ABC and ESPN, and you know, I was just kind of getting started in '97. But I mean, it was it was amazing. We go out to dinner, and and you know, he 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 liked the ponies too. And, okay, you know, he, oh yeah, he. There was one time when we were doing a, a tournament and we were doing a rehearsal and the rehearsal went a little long and, and he actually, uh, he actually missed getting to the OTB um, on time. And he looked up the next morning and read the paper and saw where his horse won mm. that he wasn't able to wager on. And the conversation between producer and Rossi was not a kind one. <laughs> Won six times, including a major. 1959, won the PGA Championship. Yeah, had had a couple of excellent chances to win the U.S. Open. You know, really a good driver of the ball, but just a brilliant, intelligent person. Very mindful, uh, very thoughtful. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I know Curtis, Judy, myself, Twybell, you know, all of us, we just loved hanging around Rossi. Yep. Died back in 2009, Palm Springs. Um, yep. 82 yep. years of age. I want to, let's take it, let's take it forward now into, um, into the modern game. I know there's uh, the life on tours we already established and most know is very different. The nightlife, the social life, you know, this is a, a big business now. These guys are traveling with an entourage of, of people. You got way more people you know, traveling private now and airplane and this and that just a different world, but there's still some games, you know, some gambling games going on and, and Phil kind of heads that up. He, he's the one that seems to kind of instigate it and, and put it together uh, on the Tuesday game. Uh, Keegan, I know kind of has been a part of that and some others. And 
Is there there's still a little bit of that going on in there? Some some side betting going on Tuesday, Wednesday? Well, yeah, there's you know, there's just going to be some type of wager, you know, to kind of keep the interest, but I will say that it's it's lessened a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um I think with the fact that that practice rounds now are a lot longer than what they used to be, Travis. Yeah. There's so much that the guys try to learn that a lot of these guys like a Mickelson will come out and they'll play, they'll play nine holes on Tuesday or they'll play late in the day. But there was a time when, yeah, he would, he would get out there. He'd get the, the younger players. Um, it's the first time I met Kepka was, was over, over at Mirfield hmm. uh, the year that Phil won. Uh, you know, first time I saw him, he was in the, Game. That game also included uh, DJ and Ricky Fowler. You know, Watney was in it. Keegan Bradley was in it. Uh, Brendan Steele. You know, you know, there were guys that 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 wanted to to play and and play with Phil and you know just to see where they stood. I mean, he was still you know in thirteen just seven years ago. I mean. He was still one of the three guys. You know, when you start looking at, you know, Tiger, Phil, VJ, Ernie, you know, those are the guys that you wanted to play with. I, yeah. think, I think, you know, as a young player, you want to try to play with these guys that have been successful. You want to learn from them. You want you want that. And they were willing to go ahead and whatever whatever the, the – incrementally the the wager was they went along with it but i do know that that one of the players they were playing uh, a game and phil said uh, okay uh you know you lose x amount and he says well i don't have that much on me i don't have that much cash on me <laughs> well it just so happens um there's an atm right there and uh, why don't you go See if it works. <laughs> <laughs> Go see if it works. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, yeah. and I think, I think for, for a lot of these guys like Phil, you know, he, he just, he just loved to have a good time. It was kind of a, you know, a nice way to stay sharp competitively, mm-hmm. but um it was also a way to kind of make the practice round go a little bit faster he was still learning the golf course. Mm-hmm. He pretty much knew all the golf courses, but you're still learning. But yet, you're you're enjoying the day. You're enjoying the fun. You're enjoying the company. And you're getting some competition. It's just not one of those days that you just kind of labor through. Right. Well, you get, when you're when you're gambling in the group, it becomes that head to head match play, right? Which they don't get Thursday through Sunday. So oh, and if, you love and and and. The verbiage that ex- is exchanged yeah, yeah. is gold, yeah. absolute yeah. gold. I know the tour would never allow that, right? But how good would that footage be? I mean, <laughs> oh my it, would, it would be it would be really good. But, you know, <laughs> the simple the simple fact that gaming is going to be a part of golf. Yeah. Well, you know that's a good point, Billy, because I think. You know, we saw it last year, and you hosted a couple of these last year uh, for Golf Channel where, you know, it was the two-on-two, right, on Wednesday for charity. Oh, yeah. And I I can see with this gambling coming on, you know, one of these casinos sponsoring a Tuesday event or a Wednesday event. And 
you're going to get that head-to-head matchups and you're going to be able to bet it and they're going to be mic'd up. And I, I think that's where we're going. And, you know, it, that is gold. It's it um, that head-to-head matchup stuff um, from a betting standpoint, as we do on Sports Pub, the show called Cash Out with the Coaches every week, um, is a very popular bet. Um, you know, like this week I took Sanjay M over Hideki Matsuyama and those are bets that um, are a little bit different, right? Than betting uh, Xander Schauffele to win the Century Tournament Champions. So I bet the getting the juices going on that head-to-head um, is something that I bet guys, they get nervous. They get intense with that. I mean, I wanted to ask you, like, what do you, what in today's game, because they have so much money, but not all of them, but, um, you know, these guys on the PGA Tour are very well paid. What gets these guys nervous and what gets their blood pumping a little bit? Is it $10 million FedEx cup or is it uh, this head to head kind of matchup in the Ryder cup? I mean, what, what gets some, gets some pumping? I think you, you make an excellent point with the Ryder cup. I think, you know, you look at the Ryder cup, um, you look at the president's cup, you look at the, the team versus team. Then you look to the final day and then it's individual against individual. You know, there's the guys get so keyed up for that. Mm. And there's, you know, there's some, there's good blood and there's bad blood. You know, it's, it's hard to detect, but that really gets the guys going. Yeah. Then when you start talking about and the, and and so far as the nerve factor, that's probably as high as it'll get. Okay. And, and, and I'm going to include um, so far as the money. Now, when you talk about individuals and you get outside that, then you start talking about okay. You look at the majors. You look at the players. You look at the the wins that a guy can accumulate, the select fields, the world golf championships, you know, you start looking, you look at the FedEx cup, which is the overall body of work. I'll guarantee it. If you go ask Rory or you have ask DJ when they're playing down that final stretch, are they nervous? You bet they are. Oh yeah. They're, I mean, they are locked up as much as any player but they have the ability to process that and channel it to where it doesn't overwhelm what the eventual goal is. And that's to win the golf tournament. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you look at the careers of, of Tiger and Phil and VJ and all these guys that Rory have won multiple majors and, a significant number of tournaments, Tiger with 82, Phil with over 40, VJ with over 30. I mean, each win, each win, I'm sure that, you know, there was a part or a time when, when they got nervous, but they were able to handle it. And I think that's the big difference that you, you see today is that these guys that, that can, can channel it win. Yeah. VJ, uh, DJ, I think has, has done a great job. Um, I think he was overly criticized, uh, for his, you know, one major championship win, but Hey, he could, he could have had seven just as easy. Mm -hmm. 
And, you know, you look, there's a lot of guys like that. But I think if you're really going to make a guy nervous or, or what gets him really nervous is a chance to win a major, win a players, uh, win a FedEx Cup. Those are the things that, that really yeah. kind of get the juices flowing and get, and get them peaked. Yeah, it just it seems now like where things are going in the world of content, in the world of gambling, there's more people at the table that I think are willing to spend money around those things. You know, it'll be interesting to see how content will be taken on when you consider all that from a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, maybe even a Saturday, Sunday for those that miss the cut. Like there's opportunities and I'm sure you've got to protect, you got to protect your asset and your sponsorships and things like that. How creative can you get it? Because when I think about the best players and what makes great content is that sense of urgency of the, of the one-on-one head-to-head matchup, you know, and, and then there's that money allotment on the line and that competitive spirit, like you said, good blood and bad blood can start to come out when it means 18 holes or nine holes or whatever it is, I think that could really be fun. Um, if, if you, if, if things started to go down that path, so it'll be, um, it'll be interesting to see. And, um, well, of course this is the super season, right? We've got, uh, so much professional golf coming, um, with four major championships, three world golf championships, the players right around the corner in March, the Olympics, and then the Ryder Cup. So uh, we're going to be seeing the best players a lot. I can't wait to see it. And thank you for um, coming on the Sports Pub podcast and sharing some of these stories. That was great. Well, Travis, I certainly enjoyed it. You know, you and I both think that, uh, you know, this is the greatest game. And you can go out there. You can either play with a bunch of buddies or you can go out there by yourself. You can get the enjoyment out of the game. So, you know, it's just fun to see these guys playing and, you know, with everything that's going on um just to be out there with the guys and the golf it's great and it's great to talk about the game and you know it was really good to kind of reminisce i kind of forgot about some of those stories till you till you kind of joggled oh man the brain a little bit you've had me you've had me in tears a few times over the years um with some of these stories and man Sometimes I wish I would have grown up back in your era, Billy. You know, I think sometimes I think I belong back in the 70s more than I did in the 90s and today. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, you know, it, it's it's different. And um, but I will say that uh, the players of today, they they certainly put in the time. Oh, yeah. You know, when you talk about putting in the time, you know, you always talked about the Hogan, the Sneed, the Byron Nelsons, you know, all the guys that worked really hard and they hit a lot of balls. But these guys, not only do they do they do it on the range and on the golf course, they do it off the golf course. Uh, these guys are really, really good athletes. <laughs> and um, I take my hat off to them. Yeah, yeah, 25 under. Um, making it look easy, soft conditions. It doesn't matter what the distance is. I mean, these guys, you give them soft and peaceful wind and off they go. I mean, so, well, we're going to see it again. Sony open this week. Didn't mean to bring up the, the bad vibes of the, of the loss of the Hawaiian open, but you did win four <laughs> times, Billy. So you had a, you had a good career. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was uh, certainly a pleasure. And, um, 
you know, I'm just looking forward to uh, getting this season underway, the calendar year, and it looks like we've started out nicely with Harris English, uh, the Bulldog. Yep, I knew you were going there. The Georgia Bulldog <laughs> gets his third win on the PGA Tour. Billy, thanks so much uh, for joining me here on the podcast, and I'll see you soon.